And will you join me uh, in prayer? Father, we just, uh, we, we just lift up all our praises to you this morning. And I have one simple prayer right now. Open our minds, open our hearts, and open our eyes um, to your word this morning, to this message. And Father, open our eyes to the world around us. And we thank you for all your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the final week of a five-part series that we have gone through called Worship to Live By. And it's been a lot of fun for me because I've had a chance to get inside some of the writers of the minds of some of the writers of some of the best songs ever written, um, both in gospel tradition and in church music. And as I go back through those five weeks, we started with Amazing Grace. And we learned that God's grace covers even the most wretched corners of our past. His grace covers all. And then we learned about it as well. And we learned that even in sorrow and in pain, Jesus is walking through it with us. God has the power to weave our pain into something triumphant. And then we did Come Thou Fount, and we all walked away with a rock in our hands, that rock of Ebenezer that the song talks about, the idea that we hold on to the faith that God will deliver us, even through some of the most difficult things that we have to walk through. And last week we learned about I Surrender All, And when we sing that song, we are reminded, and we're reminded, that when we surrender our lives to Christ, it's not about giving up, but it's about taking our lives and giving in and giving away. And so this morning, for our final uh, of this five-part series, we're going to turn our attention to what is considered the most recorded gospel song in the history of modern gospel music. And the message of this song is pretty straightforward. We already sang it once. We're going to close with it again. Some bright morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away. To that home on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away. Now, the writer of this song was a man named Albert E. Brumley. And he came up with this idea while he was picking cotton in 1929 on a hot, dusty day in Oklahoma. Now, Anyone in this room who has either hoed beans or detasseled corn or been out in the fields on a hot July afternoon can probably feel what Alfred Brumley was feeling that day. (laughs) Anywhere but here, I'd like to fly away. (laughs) If you've ever done hard-labored field work, you know where he's coming from. And his idea wasn't just about the field work, of course. The idea grew into the idea that someday we're going to leave this life behind, the burdens and the pains and the struggle, and there's a heaven that's waiting for us. And that's the wonderful news about Jesus conquering death, is that he overcame death. And because when we put our trust in him, we can overcome death too. And we can spend eternity with God. That's the whole point of this song. And I want to share with you a couple of verses that give that assurance before we switch directions a little bit. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 4 through 7, we're given this promise. He, on the final day for us, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about at the end of our lives? That the life here is temporary, but the presence of God will be eternal. That's what this song is all about, that time when we fly away to that moment. And here's what Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. And it is through Christ that we see that eternal glory, that we receive that eternal glory. Now, as Christ followers, I know and you know that a place of unimaginable beauty, a place of unimaginable glory and awe awaits us when we leave this earth to spend eternity in the presence of God. It's why when we sing a song like, I'll fly away, it's easy for us to imagine these burdens that we bring here this morning, these challenges, these trials that we face, they're going to one day be wiped away, and all things will be made new. And see, that is the heaven that is there. It's the heaven that is down the road. It's the heaven that we all await. But my challenge this morning is another direction. As Christ followers, we have a very important burden to carry in this life while this life goes on here. And that is, how are we living our lives now in helping to restore a world that our God, our Creator, so dearly loves? A world He loves so much that He sent His one and only Son to redeem it. You see, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells His disciples, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, and this is a huge command for us, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So here's an important question this morning. In a world full of darkness, how can we let our light shine? How can we live our lives in a way that brings heaven here and brings heaven here now? And why is that so important? I think to answer that, another fair question follows. What matters most to God? I gave my life to Christ. It's important for me to consider and understand what matters most to Christ. And here here are two things I believe with complete certainty, and Scripture teaches it. Number one, God loves the world. He loves the world he created. And number two, he is seeking the lost. That matters to God. And so it has to matter to me. Now, I want to tell you something um, that I think really ties into where I'm going for the rest of this message. One of the most difficult, and I would say the most difficult thing that I've experienced over my years in working in schools, in school leadership, is when the knock on my door comes from a teacher, and they ask to come in, and they ask to sit down, and they say to me, Jeff, I think I've got a child who is 
being abused. I think I have a child who's being neglected. And I can tell you, after 20 years of doing this work, some of the darkest places I've ever seen, some of the most depraved places I've ever gone, has been going inside of homes where children are being abused, where children are being neglected. And I'm not going to spend all morning telling you all of the sad and horror stories that I've seen, but it's heartbreaking to watch. And when I think about those children, those helpless children, who all they know is abuse and neglect. I have a simple question because many of those children go on to become adults and no one yet has encountered them in their life with the love of God. And I ask myself this question, how are people who've been through these types of experiences, how are they going to believe that God is good when all they've known is a world around them that's treated them so badly? Have you ever stopped to wonder with every person that you encounter with everybody who you run across during your day-to-day life, have you ever stopped and wondered, I wonder why that person seems so far from God? And my simple question to that is, do we know their story? Do we see the value in them that the way God sees them? You know, it seems overwhelming for us sometimes to think of all the problems that are in the world, all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the sin, and sometimes it just gets overwhelming. But here's a powerful answer that I want to lead us into today. When it comes to standing in the gap, when it comes to teaching people and showing people that God is good and God is love, the simple answer for us to do that is this. It is up to us. It's up to us to show up in people's lives. And it's up to us to teach them and witness to them that God is good and that God is love. Until the day comes when Christ comes back, our mission as Christ followers is to teach and witness and share that message every single day. And before I get into the practicalities of all this, I want to take a look at one more episode from Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry. And it's found in Matthew chapter 14. This is a famous scene that you're all familiar with. But when you ask yourself, I'm just one person, how am I going to go out and bring the kingdom here? How am I going to every day bring heaven to this earth with my words, with my deeds, with my actions? I want to share this passage with you. It's from Matthew 14, and it's the feeding of the 5,000. And there's a really important lesson here that I want to take note of before we get into uh, the rest of our outline here. When Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's getting really late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You, you give them something to eat. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them to me, Jesus said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. 
Now, this is one of the miracles that Jesus performs, but I want to show you what's happening here. Jesus has been teaching a multitude of people all day long. He's been healing sick. He's been witnessing. He's been sharing. All these people are gathered around, and it's getting late, and like all of us, they're getting hungry. And his disciples, his very followers who he's training, they come to him, and they say, come on, Jesus, can't you see everyone's hungry? It's getting late. We need to get them some food. They need to be sent home. Because, of course, in this case, the disciples knew what was best for these people, and they were willing to tell Jesus what he needed to do. Jesus has a different response, and Jesus goes a different way. In verse 16, I'll read it again. He says, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And he says, bring them to me. Did you catch that? We bring what we can. In this life, we bring what we have, our talents, our treasures, and sometimes it feels like we don't have nearly enough to give. But Jesus isn't asking for our talents and our treasures. He's asking for our trust. And then he'll take our talents and our time and our treasures, and he'll multiply them. But we start with our trust in him. He's saying to them, bring me what you have, however inadequate that may be. It only seems like we have a handful of fish and a couple loaves of bread and all these people to feed, all these needs around us in our communities. He says, bring me what you have and let me take it from there. That's powerful. And so I come back to this question, to a world filled with darkness, in a world filled with hurting people all around us, to a world where there are so many people far from God. How do we bring them the hope of heaven here and now? And I want to talk about three ways I believe we can do that. And the first is simply this, and it comes from Matthew 6.10. It's part of one of the most important passages in the New Testament. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think this is an important verse for this reason. We are given a glimpse of what God's will is. And more importantly than what God's will is in understanding it is the importance for us to understand what we're going to do with it. What is God's will? I want to read to you Micah 6, 8. He has shown us, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What is his will? And here's what we know. His will for us is to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. That's a starting point, right? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. I have really been stirred the last couple of weeks in Ken Carlson's Sunday school class, and we've had some great discussion because we're going through Proverbs 6 and the seven detestable things that God shudders to. And you know, that word's been bouncing around in my head all week. Have you ever gotten so mad at somebody that you physically shuddered? I don't know how often I have. It's been very rare. But when I think of the kinds of things that I can say or do with my life that would make God shudder, I take notice. And here are the things that we're taught that God shudders from. Haughty eyes, pride, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, 
hearts that devise wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. So let's begin there. And let's take a look at how we as Christ followers respond differently to the things we know that God detests. Can we look at our lives and say, rather than living with pride and arrogance, I'm going to live with humility. Instead of living with deceit and not always being upfront and forthcoming, I'm going to live a life that is always truthful. Everything I come that comes out of my mouth is going to be truth. Rather than being a person who likes to create conflict, I want to be a person who's going to be a peacemaker. Rather than always scheming to tear somebody down or to gossip about somebody or to kind of work behind the scenes to create drama, how about being the kind of person, I say to myself, who works to build other people up? And instead of always being, putting people down, instead of always stirring that conflict, what if I'm someone who's always living with encouragement? I'm always bringing encouragement to people who are around me. And we have to ask ourselves this. How are we doing in these areas? Because every time we leave this church, we're going on a mission for the rest of the week. And we have to ask ourselves, am I prepared for the mission ahead by how I'm living my own life? By staying as far away from these things that God detests as possible. And we have to ask ourselves, where do we fall short? You see, every Sunday I ask myself, who is walking in these doors for the very first time? And will we be prepared to present them with a service that lets them see the love of Jesus? And more importantly, will they see that love? Will they see that kind of life in us Monday through Saturday when they see us outside these walls? we got to take this very seriously. You see, not all of the world is going to come in here on a Sunday morning. But the entire world is out there every day that we engage in it. And it's important work that God calls us to do. And people who aren't sure what to do with God aren't going to be interested in heaven if they don't see us speaking and acting and behaving and loving like we're looking forward to it. It's just that simple. And that's our call. So number one, we bring heaven here by obeying God's commands. It's number one, we obey. And we teach through our obedience. Number two, we bring heaven here by inventorying our lives and unbinding or unsticking ourselves from the things that distract or hinder us. Most uh, snowy days during the wintertime, I get the pleasure of getting up at 4.30 and checking roads because we got to know if we can put buses on them and all those kinds of things. And so if you remember about five years ago, remember the snow that never stopped snowing? Remember that winter where it felt like every day you looked out the window and the snow was blowing like this? That was a crazy winter. And there was one particular morning, the transportation director, Dale, and I went out to check our roads, and we came across this one hilly road that... um, Looked more like a challenge than a no school day. We thought, you know, as long as we got the truck out here with the blade, let's go for it. (laughs) And so we tried to plow through that road. And I can tell you about 15 feet into it, guess what happened? We got high centered and our wheels just started spinning. And I figured there was my I'll fly away moment. I was going to go away in the loving arms of Dale Erickson as we sat and froze to death because we were too proud to stay off that road. (laughs) 
the inner 17-year-old in us came in, and we paid a price for it. Well, we got finally some help we got out of there. But I'm going to ask you this question. Do you find yourself ever spinning your wheels in life? Do you feel yourself just sort of stuck in neutral sometimes? And I want to share with you this verse because I think it's really important to speaking to our hearts and, and the things that we struggle with. And it's in John 15, 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, here's the key word here. Here's the concept I want to get from point two here. He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. And I want to talk about this pruning idea for a minute. Those of you who garden, those of you who grow things. Um, the last couple of weeks here, I've been, um, just had the real blessing to spend time with families. They've lost, um, they've lost loved ones. And in both cases, whether it was the Crawford family or the Seward family, both of them were family members who were very good at gardening. They were very good at growing things. And so to them, this, this idea of pruning would have made a lot of sense. And maybe it does to you as well. If you grow things, you know what pruning is. And see, the, pr- the process of pruning has two purposes. Number one, when we prune a plant, we are taking away from that plant the diseased or destructive branches that are taking away from its ability to grow the way it's supposed to. There are pieces of that, pl- that plant that need to be cut away because they're taking away the nutrients that the strength, the center of the plant needs. So we cut away the diseased pieces. Number two, when we're pruning, because that's not the only reason we do so, we sometimes have to cut away because there's too many buds or too many branches. And I think of roses when I think of this example. If you just let a rose grow unfettered, a lot of times it may blossom out into many, and you don't get that one beautiful rose because all of the attention is going to all these other places. And so roses can have too many buds on the vine, and it takes away from the full growth of the one. And I think this is so wise in John because both of these things are true in us. We have diseased things in our lives that we have to continually cut away. Many of those stem back to those seven things that we just talked about, what God detests. We have to continue to prune and cut away those pieces in our lives that bring us disease. And there are also times when we have to do some pruning in our lives to take away some of the things that are taking up our space that are taking away from us the ability to do the mission that God has called us in leading our families and in leading our neighbors and in leading in our community. And so I ask you this, what areas in life do you have some pruning to do today? Because our ability to bring that heaven to this earth comes first with our obedience and the second comes from our growth. We obey and we have to grow and we continue to grow. And finally, number three, Christ followers are called to use our talents to bring heaven to earth. I want to share with you these verses. And again, it's another great parable that's told here. It says, again, it will be like a man who is going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned 
and settled accounts with them. And you remember what happened to the guy who buried his talent, right? That master wasn't very happy. And it finally dawned on me that parallel between the the parable of the fish and the parable of the talents. It's not about what we bring. It's not about what we're gifted with. It's about what we do with what we're given. However inadequate or however feeble it might be, God can use us. The whole point of this is it's about our trust, and it's about our willingness to give. So we obey, we grow, and then we serve and we give. Now, I'm going to talk about a couple of very practical things that we can all talk about here today. Whatever community that you live in, whether it's Whiting or Sloan or Ottawa or Mapleton, Salix, if I miss anybody, I'm, I'm sorry, Sioux City, I want to share with you this. Here are some very practical places that you can serve with some very practical needs. Every community that I just listed or mentioned has a school system in it. And every single school system that I describe has between three to eight out of ten of every children in that school system who are considered living at or below the poverty line. There's a huge need in our communities, families who have needs. They have material needs that we can help bless them with. And you know what? When we talk about schools, there's a direct correlation between a socioeconomic standing of a student and their ability to achieve. It's just that simple. So where can we serve in our schools? Just two blocks south of this church, there is a nursing home. And many of your communities have care centers for elderly people. And as I've gone and visited various people of either family or friends I know, you know what strikes me every time I go through that nursing home? It struck me when my grandparents were there. It, struck, it strikes me every time I go and visit and, and, and call on people. There are a lot of lonely people there. There are people there who I don't want to be forgotten, but they're there, and they're just two blocks away. We have food pantries and food shelters and soup kitchens all around us because we're reaching out to people who have needs. What we have to do as we think about bringing this heaven to earth is we have to, first of all, open our eyes and see the world around us. We have to build capacity in ourselves to obey We have to build capacity in ourselves to grow in our faith. And then we have to let God use the talents that he gives us and unleash them to the world around us. We take care of the young. We take care of the elderly. We take care of our neighbors. We take care of the needy. And we take care of each other. That's living in community. That's how we're designed to live. And we're stronger when we do it together. So I want to close with one more scene from the New Testament And it comes right in Acts 2. If you want to go right there with me, start on verse 42. I don't have this up on the screen, but this is what I want to close with. I want to walk through this and show you what's going on here. This is is amazing. This is sort of the explosion of the early New Testament church. And listen to what those Christ followers did in that early church. Listen to what they physically did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So there's the obedience. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the gospel, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, when we say breaking of bread, what that simply means is they're sharing meals together. They're praying together. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and if you have your Bibles open, I want you just to note this phrase, because this is going to be one of the centerpieces of our 
next two months of teaching. And all the believers were together, and here it is, and they had everything in common. Now, I really want to unpack this in the next two months. What does that mean to live together and have everything in common according to God's will? And we're going to explore that in the weeks ahead. But here's some things I think we should have in common. What we have in common is a love for the world. What we have in common is a passion for the lost. What we have in common is a desire to see justice for every single person in this world. And what we have in common is a desire, just like these early church members, a desire to live in harmony with one another. We're obeying, we're growing, and we're giving. And it goes on to say this, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Heaven, we are promised in Scripture, is where all things are made new, where the temporary of this life becomes eternal. And Jesus teaches us that an eternity with God begins only in relationship with him. So with that challenge, before I fly away, and before I encourage you to fly away, I want to make sure that we're all leaving here everything that we have. I want to be sure that we're giving all of our obedience, all of our treasure, all of our talents to bring that heaven here, to reach out to as many people who need God as we know. I want to leave them here every glorious day that we're given on this earth. We look toward heaven with the mission of it being there, but that there's a mission here now. Let's build our kingdom here in anticipation for the kingdom there. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, we uh, are so blessed today to gather, to go deeply inside your word. And Father, we take the challenge, the challenge you give us to build here your kingdom, to share with everybody around us your love, your mercy, and your saving grace. We're all lost without you, Father. Every single one of those six and seven detestable things that we know you shudder from. Father, we know we're guilty of them. And we know that every single day, if we just added up the score ourselves, we'd fall short. But thanks to Jesus overcoming death, thanks to his sacrifice, thanks to his rising again, Father, we have the grace when we put our assurance in him that our sins are washed clean. So, Father, with that joy and with that uh, delight that we have in that truth, Help us live with the energy and the joy and the spirit to bring your heaven every day to everyone around us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.